Hello, and welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. Today is going to be an amazing episode. We have cartoonist Jamie Jones zooming in, calling in, doing all the fun stuff uh, to talk about his new book, The Baboon, Temple of Eternal Life. It's on Crowdfunder right now. The campaign's running for the next 30 days. But this right here, right now, if you're seeing this on YouTube, this is a new aspect of the podcast. We're going to do video and we're going to do audio. And if you like what you're seeing, just hit that little subscribe button on YouTube. That's going to help us out a lot because we are going to do a huge, massive, massive giveaway uh, when we reach 1,000 subscribers. I think we're at 868 right now. And when we get to like 950, I'll start like announcing the prizes and we'll probably do giveaways to about 10 people so that like one in 100 have a chance to win something. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that because we are in a new studio. As you can tell, uh, I'm, I've moved to Connecticut and we have this amazing space uh, in the basement of my house, uh, AKA dude in the basement is making a comeback. Uh, that's for the long time, long time listener, first time callers over there. Um, but no, this is going to be very exciting. And uh, Jamie is the test subject with our, our Zoom action going on here. And uh, I'm very excited to do more of this in the future. Uh, let me know who you want me to interview. And I will start beating down the doors uh, and seeing who wants to hop on with me. Uh, because it's going to be exciting. It's going to be so much fun. Because like I really want to do like deep dives into comic books and talk about comic books. Like we've, I mean, I feel like we've talked about comic books a lot of different ways. But I really... Color theory is amazing for me. I love talking color theory, panel breakdown, all that fun stuff. Like we're going to be doing a lot of good things in this podcast, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So let's start it off with cartoonist Jamie Jones. Well, I'd like to welcome Jamie Jones to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Jamie, how you doing? I'm doing great. I got my cup of coffee, and I am uh, getting jazzed. Slowly waking up, but getting good. I know these uh, 10 a.m. podcasts. Uh, who are who are these people running these things? I don't know. People. Would... I love it. It <laughs> means I get to do like more stuff during the day, and I'm not sleepy. Either way, there would be coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing, well, I have to tell people is you and I have history. You know, we've made a couple comic books together. You know, just a few. Yes, that is true. Um, and I've I've known you for a while now. Um, I think it's got to be maybe like. 2013 2014 at heroes haven free comic book day that sounds right that's insane <laughs> that's like right when i started making comics Ooh. i was 23 when i was like hey i'm gonna try to do comics as a as a thing oh yeah that, that, that's the other thing that i gotta i always forget to bring to the table is that like you were an actor right yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, like the older i get the much more to my chagrin that becomes but yes that was, that was a thing and i've seen one of your stage plays and and it was good it was good you're you uh you are definitely have a steve martin vibe going with you uh with your acting hey there could be worse but when i was thinking about it, it's like what do i call you I was like, are you a cartoonist? Is that, is, that, is that how you define yourself? That's how I define myself. Uh, yeah, as a guy who writes and draws uh, his own material, that is technically a cartoonist. So I, I really like the term cartoonist. I like uh, the term comics as well. Um, not graphic novels or, or 
you know, I, I, I like being a cartoonist for comics. I like that. And the big question, because it's just it's a podcast and we're on timeliness and newsworthiness, like, what are you working on right now? What am I, what am I working on or what am I promoting? <laughs> this, oh, is, that's... <laughs> this is two different questions. Right, uh, what, are we, what are we promoting? I am promoting uh, the Baboon Temple of Eternal Life. It's the second Baboon full-length story. I've done a couple short story stuff, but this is 94 pages. It'll be a hardcover book. Going to look like the first book, but with an extra 30 pages added. Uh, it's it's cool. It's done. <laughs> I'm like that's the other. That's where it's interesting. Where it's like, what are you working on? It the book is done. I am working on promoting that book um yeah and where can people get this book like how are we doing this this crowdfunder i'm doing crowdfunder i have jumped ship from kickstarter to crowdfunder um we'll see how that goes i really really like crowdfunder as a service and as a site and as like what they offer is really cool and there's a lot of little quality of life stuff that i think is really good for comics and and publishing right kickstarter kind of has a catch-all vocabulary that crowdfunder allows you to uh modify for your project right so people can back the book and it will say you've bought this product as opposed to uh you you have you reclaim your reward right there's reward tiers in uh kickstarter and in on crowdfunder you can change that verbiage from uh reward to product to perk to different things it's just a lot more modular on on the creator end i that i really really like that buying psychology stuff ah and i and i saw that you mentioned like the customer service is top notch too like if I ever have a question, that's, that's another thing. Uh, it's a small, small company. Um, and I am also a small business, right? So I was like, Oh, small business, small business. Let's all, uh, you know, uh, rising tides raises all ships, get more people who are doing small business stuff into, into the, uh, the zeitgeist as it were. Um, and yeah, it's great. And they treat it like a small business. So if I have a question, it gets answered immediately. I needed stickers. I needed, I was like, hey, can I get the crowdfunder logo? And they were like, yeah, here you go. Boom. Just automatically. And I was like, this is, this is fantastic. So. Now, going from book one to book two, how have you evolved as a creator? Oh, man. Uh, a lot of drawing has happened between book one and book two. I've drawn, I did Quarter Killer in between. I've done Tales of MFR in between. I did, I've done three baboon, like mini comic stuff in between. Uh, I've, I mean, as a creator personally, I've moved. I have, <laughs> I've had to go and like, make new friends in a state that I have no, I knew nobody in. I like, there's a lot of little things that, uh, have adjusted. Um, and you know, each project is a little different where you make something 
in a different way just to try something out. This this book is colored in a way that I had never colored a book before. And that was, that's kind of the big, the big one. Um, it's well, just that, getting honing, honing in on your craft and getting better at it. And then trying to figure out what looks right for your, for the book that you're trying to make. And that was, that's literally what I, how have you evolved? And then like color work is literally my next question, because since I've worked <laughs> with you, um, yeah. I've seen your style, like your, your drawing style has stayed relatively the same. That's your style. But there has been a definite solid evolution in your color work that I've seen from the beginning of page one of Tales of Monkeys Fighting Robots to page 104. Um, and then that got me thinking, is col evolution of coloring or your evolution coming, are you influenced by what other people are doing? Because you can grab somebody's like, oh, I see how so-and-so did coloring. That's really awesome. Let me try that. And that's not stealing. That's kind of like being influenced. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what what was the book? It was X when X-Men Grand Design came out, and it was all done in that like retro coloring style. Um. I'm a fan of Cartoonos Kayfabe. I was watching their show. And I think kind of uh, offhandedly, uh, Ed Pisker said to Jim Rugg, yeah, you taught me how to do this, the the making colors look old on on uh, as a digital process. And I just on a whim messaged Jim Rugg and he <laughs> got back to me and told me how to do it, uh, how to get that retro styling. Um, and so that's what I've implemented now for the past, for the past year, I've been, I've been kind of trying to color more and more in that way. And then it's just refining palettes, you know, what colors actually work, what colors don't, um, seeing what that looks like in print. It's, it's a slow, just everything. The evolution of coloring for me is how much can I refine my palette? to then just kind of get out of the way of the actual comic book right you shouldn't notice coloring it should just you shouldn't even notice really this like the inking or the drawing it should just be there and it's the product is the comic book so stylistically evolutionarily i am trying to push further and further in the comic as object and less and less as like medium as comic uh and i i just want to get out of the way like you shouldn't know i write the book my name's on it so i i want people to know i i wrote and drew the book but at the same time when you're a kid you don't really necessarily know who wrote the book or who drew the book it was just these characters and they were going on cool missions and that was that was enough so that's what so everything that i do is like trying to maintain a level of unity between the pencils inks writing and colors so it kind of just gets out of the way um so one part is not sticking out 
majorly uh, over another part. Oh man, uh, I I feel like that's gonna be a whole nother podcast is me and you debating whether color should stand out or not stand out because like I love talking like color theory and like you know like oh this red page is a red page to make me angry like it's supposed to be there you know like sure sure you know that, and, and that's then, like, the thoughts that we should have as right. people who work in <laughs> comics but I don't know if that's a like that's a psychological uh manipulate that's a that's a psychological tool that we have as creators to then put on the reader but I have realized uh, people who don't work in the entertainment industry or uh, make comics or really makers of things, they may be influenced by the screen being read, but they're, they have no like verbiage for that. They, they may not understand why that is the reason, but color psychology is a thing. And, and color theory and how colors vibrate on on top of other colors does add something so like i think of that a lot but i want to hide it in the in the comic <laughs> and for example like in a, if you go to monkey's fighting robots right now our website you can see you can read the first eight pages of what the baboon i'm blanking baboon temple of Temple of Eternal Life. I want to say Temple of the Dog because I've listened to 90s music this week. <laughs> but it's not. But we have the first eight pages and in and it's a flashback. And so like it's cinematically it's kind of cool because you do look kind of like a retro coloring to it and then it opens up to the main book and there's a, there's a transition and you're like I appreciated all that color work and texture that you put in there but you what you want is you want me to just read the book and and just cinematically just have it like oh this is you know subconsciously this is a flashback because it's a different texture and then when it opens up you're like oh this is the movie that's a really interesting thought it's all the same textures like those colors are all like that's just the palette of the book um it's just implemented in a way it's like how do you make sunset look in a book versus when it's nighttime right so it is a flashback only in the sense that it happens at the beginning of the like it is the first part of the book it's chronological uh i i debated whether or not just making it a straight up a straight flashback or not but then thought it was easier if it was just chronological this happens then we go to the baboon and then the baboon find, like is there and like this is where coloring becomes a big deal um time in the sky like is there is it dark is it sunrise so it all is one night and that's the other thing that's so it's sunset starts the beginning of the book is sunset and the end of the book is sunrise so it's all in a night um which is a, a logistical nightmare <laughs> in in coloring and then this is an action adventure book yeah correct yes okay what does that mean in terms of panel layout when you're doing like action adventure I don't know if it means anything it's in terms of panel layout. It definitely means something in terms of uh, 
the story um and 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 just genre fiction um i like i like prefacing it with pulp action adventure uh just to add another another little thing i think pulp has become kind of more universal with noir uh in in our later years of pulp being around so pulp action adventure like indiana jones and johnny quest and that kind of stuff um is fast paced just action from the beginning like it doesn't let up right so it's constant escalation i think that's that's where the action adventure genre is uh really where it really thrives night big settings big set pieces constant escalation that's action adventure in my mind um so but and in terms of panel layouts that's all uh how easy is it to read right i'm not i write this book is ostensibly for children i write kids comics um that are to be enjoyed by everyone um so does the panel flow uh is it confusing if it's confusing that's a bad thing but i guess page layout wise each page ends with the you wanting to go to the next page right i broke everything down in spreads so when i write the book it's all done in the two page spreads to really see for me where that page turn is going to be uh, because I don't have to have ads in a comic book, it's not broken down that way. So it's actually broken down where page turns mean something, where uh, I can lead the eye, hopefully lead the eye to from one panel at the bottom of the left-hand page up to the right-hand page, down to the right page, flip the page, right? And you want to continue to just read. Um, yeah not interrupting that that flow until you do right and then you do that on purpose and then you talk about like large set pieces like how do you make it feel large within the confines of a comic book so i pretty much when i did the first baboon book uh broke i break down every page in three panels in the three tiered uh darwin cook new frontier <laughs> layout where everything's just three big panels um and then i break that up as needed but everything is done in those three tiers because i find that easy for me to write in that being said what you can do you can just like front load that first panel with a lot of information and then you have a big building or you have a great action shot of the characters or, or you know you can really manipulate those three panels in a lot of ways where it's like well this is a two panel page so one is big and then one is kind of incidental talky moments so you can get those exciting page reveal page turns that still move the story forward and not just big action uh 
moment, not just a pinup. Watchmen does this a lot, right? Where it, that's a nine panel grid that the big story beat reveals, they'll take up four panels on that nine panels. And that's their quote unquote, like pinup splash panel. And in any other comic, that would be just a full page or a double page spread. But in a nine panel grid, it does feel bigger, right? Because it's, you are reading nine panels, every single page, every single page. And now there's what, five panels on the page. That's, it feels big. And then um, why the painted covers? You, this is a this is a stylistic choice that you've done through uh, the baboon tales of MFR. Like, have you any other painted covers going on that I know should know should know about? In in comics or yes. this? Well, for me, painted covers are uh, fun and cool, and they I don't know hold a prestige. That's how all like all the old pulp stuff is done, right? You had like Frank Frazetta doing the Conan covers. Those are, that's important for it to, uh, to the culture of pulp, all of the Doc Savage books, they all have, they all have painted covers and I like that look. So I decided to do that. <laughs> that's, that's really what it comes down to. You know, you, you playing around the baboon is a lot of me just playing around with different tropes. And that is a trope of pulp is the covers are painted. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I just, it's one of those things where I feel like you're going to toot your horn. You know, it's like, Hey, I could draw a cover or I could just like, and digitally, or I could just paint it and then fold it into the, to the comic book. And that's just another level of like, Hey, this is my skill set and what I bring to the table. Um, and I know that you have multiple skill sets. All right. So the big question if you're sitting at a convention, because those have come back, and somebody yeah. is cosplaying as the baboon, what is your reaction going to be? You take a picture. That's the most lame reaction ever. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I would like a picture. Uh, yeah. It hasn't happened yet. That'd be uh, a, I, I would be worried. Because it's an all-white costume. I get worried about guys who cosplay Moon Knight, too. Because I'm like, oh, man, it gets so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the first comic book that you ever picked up? Ooh, uh, good question. I, when I was really young, there were, like, Sonic the Hedgehog comics all the time. And, like, there was a Mega Man run. I'm a big Mega Man fan. Uh, and that was that was like really young. And I don't know if I picked those up because I was really interested in comics. Um, but when I was 17 and I really started reading comics, the owner at Big Dog Comics in Fort Pierce, Florida, gave me or told me to read um, I walked in, I said, I want nothing to do with superheroes. And he said, all right, cool. Here's Fables, Sandman, and The Goon. And uh, those were the, like the first comics that I really like remember reading. 
And then, like, what was the book that changed your perception about the medium? Where you're like, oh, my God, we can do so much more with this. Uh, Essex County. That was Jeff, Jeff Lemire's Essex County. I was sitting at a library in Florida and waiting for my girlfriend at the time to finish rehearsal. And they had uh, Essex County in the library, in the comics section. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll just read this. And it blew my mind. Um, that slower slice of life stuff. Um, you hear, I had always heard about, like there are comics that do this, but I was in superhero world um, and that was not something that was even on my radar. And then that book really sent me into a different, a different direction on what I thought comics could do. And then when I was 23, I discovered Will Eisner and the spirit, and that changed everything. Stylistically, and what I, what I was, I felt like I was capable of doing changed. And then I, I love how this is going. It's like, I write them down in order and you just kind of like line up. Cause it's like, how would you define your style? Yeah. Um, I am, uh, I, Eisnerian <laughs> is, is that, a, is that a thing? Is that presumptuous too? Um, I like old comics and the older I get, the more I get into comic strips and that kind of action adventure strip format I really liked. I really like, and those artists, so Eisner, Milton Kniff, uh, Noel Sickles, Roy Crane, those guys really were doing something uh, interesting. And line quality wise, I think I'm a I have a lot of Kniff and a lot of Eisner ticks that I try to make my own. Um, stylistically, it's all with a brush. That's the main thing i like using a brush to ink yeah and since you have them you've mentioned them or you mentioned one um but you got the other guy hanging on your back wall who would win in a fight astro boy or mega man oh astro boy i think i'm a huge astro boy fan well you know mega man was supposed to be an astro boy video game that they couldn't get the rights to astro boy so they made mega man no, because I was just sitting with them in the background. I was like, yeah, they're really similar going on. Things they're going on They're super similar. <laughs> um, what was the first book that you published, and how did it feel to hold it in your hand? The first book that I published was this Western, this mech Western comic uh, called Dodger with Trace Dean. Uh, he was the writer of the book. And it was printed on pretty crappy paper. <laughs> um, and it like sold out at New York Comic Con the year that we had it. And that was insane. Uh, it was that was pretty special. That book is pretty special. I think I, I like I still have copies of it. Um, I didn't I wasn't in charge of printing. I had no idea how any of that worked at the time. Um, I often think that I would like to reprint those. <laughs> we did like five issues of that book. Um, I would love to reprint that now at a much nicer, qual <laughs> at a much higher quality. But uh, yeah, 
that was that was it how did it feel it felt great i felt like oh cool i i did a thing that was <laughs> it that, did a thing i did a Man, thing you were, I, hey, it I takes it. so much to impress jamie jones apparently <laughs> <laughs> I, I it takes a lot for me to impress myself um <laughs> The baboon was kind of the first thing that I held in my hand because it was like a nice hardcover book and I felt very cool holding that. And that was all me. And so that was that was a lot. It's never not cool to hold your own book though. So <laughs> <laughs> that's I just want a shelf of my own book. That's what I'm going for now. That that's you you're trying to chase that high of, of what it felt like to get the first book. Now I just want 10 copies of the baboon or 10, 10 issues, just a good chunk of, a good chunk of shelf space. That'd be awesome. If there was one thing you could change about the industry, what would it be and why? Ooh, um, this is an interesting question that I think about a lot, but never have formulated <laughs> words for um, I think the industry has there. There's a lot, man. There's a lot. There's a lot that I would like to see changed, but there's a lot. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, needed. Um, oh, here's the ma the main thing. This is it. I got it. Um, <laughs> Uh, bring back in in corporate comics, so Marvel and DC and all in like Dark Horse and all of those. Dark Horse a little less so than Marvel and DC at this point. Um, bring back backup stories that aren't done by major names. So find oh like build a thing for people to cut their teeth doing eight page stories five page stories in the back of books that are already selling right we don't need in the back of justice league uh for jeff johns and gary frank to do a shazam story they shouldn't be in the back of justice league um i've talked to several people who who run comic shops or, or work at comic shops and they're buying the book like the main book for the backup story and i think that's wrong <laughs> put jeff johns if, if jeff johns and gary frank are selling that book put them on the main book and then put newer artists in the backup stories that's how that should work it's it's all backwards now but that's how walt simonson got his career that's how everyone's like so many people started uh it was all about you know, Manhunter, the Walt Simonson book, was a backup story in Detective Comics. Detective Comics was a good selling book. And then Manhunter was there. And then everyone went, this Walt Simonson guy knows what he's talking about. That's necessary. It's necessary to like foster new talent in into an industry. So that's the main that's the main thing I'd like to change. Um and then also the still, this is a bigger thing that's not necessarily uh comics related um but more comic book readership related um the idea of self-publishing being taboo 
it's it's much less taboo in comics than it is in the uh prose world like the the traditional book market but when your comics that are super super popular were self-published like teenage mutant ninja turtles was originally self-published bone originally self-published cerebus these books that have a the goon was originally self-published right these books that have a legacy to them in the industry um now is kind of looked down upon to do self-publishing and that's not in the comic book industry industry-wise we all accept comic books self-published or not um but just perception-wise so retailer industry i think is uh that's a thing uh, well i think that's a tough that's a tough nut to crack because like i mean i've ki- we've kickstarted books you've kickstarted books like it's really hard to like give retailers the discount that they deserve when you're self-publishing a book and i think that's sure. the thing is that like between retailers and self-publishers is like you know giving it to a retailer you're kind of losing money you know like there's a and then you know retailers not making money uh i am i am thankful for the like three or four retailers that got copies of tales of monkeys fighting robots and um because i know that they're just they're 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 probably eating money on it you know yeah yeah well it's also interesting right the further we go into self-publishing being a thing right over the pandemic um self-publishing and kickstarters uh, the the comic book kickstarter tag went up 75 percent um and that's an insane amount a 75 percent growth in that's that's a lot of books that's a lot of self-published books that are in the world that i don't think people are seeing um right and if there was just a fraction of more readers looking for stuff that wasn't just traditionally published at marvel and dc um you would see a lot more interesting comics out because then you can get away with more things because more people are doing stuff um yeah and as comic book shops become more and more boutique the pro i think the product that they should be having that they should be selling should also be more and more boutique um because now it's just uh, i go to a lot of comic shops now i have a great comic shop in town that i love neighborhood comics they are awesome um and i live in a city that has a lot of comic book people in it that are all like putting out books constantly so they have a wall for uh local local people who are self-publishing a lot of it is self-published um and that's really cool and really great but that boutique side of the retailer space i think could grow a little bit more um and it is it i mean i understand it it's a it's a risk right it's a risk buying anything uh but because you don't know if the next issue of superman is going to sell or not right like 
that's a that's still an issue we're dealing with an artist change can tank a book yeah no that, that, i i gotta get back more involved on the on the uh on the retailing and not not that i want to like open a comic book shop but just get more information about it because you know where we where we lived in florida had comic book shops and there was a few good ones and there were some other ones and then where i am now like there's one comic book shop and i've gone in there a few times and they're really annoyed that I come in and ask questions. And so it's, it's really yeah. tough to want to like, I'm, I'm really depressed that I don't have like a neighborhood comic book shop, you know, kind of like a neighborhood bar where I could walk in and be like, Hey dude, what's going on? And just be like, you know, I want somebody to be like me at a comic book shop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's tough. I, I, it's, uh, I'm going to go exploring Connecticut and hopefully I'll find some other, other shops around here and everything and, and check them out. But, uh, where can people find your book again? On Crowdfunder. So it's crowdfunder.com forward slash bowtie press, which is my imprint. Everything that I've done has been under bowtie press uh, for the last, gosh, four or five years. That's and, insane. And your, I know your Instagram handle is Art of Jamie Jones. Twitter is Art of all Jamie of, Jones. All of the social media is Art of Jamie Jones. Yeah. Maybe okay. I should have made it crowdfunder at Art of Jamie Jones, but I didn't. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, I, have, I have one final question to end this podcast, and it's my favorite question I always ask all my interview guests is, if you were in a buddy cop, in a buddy cop movie, who would be your partner and why? Oh, man. In real life? Like my real life partner, my buddy cop partner, are like in fake life in 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 Hollywood Land. Uh, I I think we're making this movie, so it has to be in Hollywood Land. Okay, and it is me. I'm not yes. playing a character. It's Jamie Jones. Yes, it's Jamie Jones. Ooh. playing Jamie Jones. Jamie Jones is Jamie Jones, with co-starring. I want to say my brother, but I don't know if that would be make a really great movie. <laughs> It'd be a very different movie. I've got so many questions. Who's directing this movie? Is it Edgar Wright? Uh, like this is these are the things I need to know. This is a loaded question. Matt. Um, you've asked the wrong guy this question. Uh, what are we doing? What's I usually the ask. I usually ask like Hollywood actors. You know, not theater people. Um, and so they automatically have their answer because they're pushing for their buddy cut movie. Sure. That makes <laughs> sense. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's see. Who would be fun to like hang out with? And uh, Brian Cranston would be fun. Can I do a buddy an... cop movie with Brian Cranston? That would be an interesting pairing. Yeah. It, so I, we... it might be too similar. It might be like... <laughs> We we might be too much of the same person. Uh, yeah, I like Brian Cranston. That's a good choice. That was a good choice. I, w I was hoping that you were going to go more of the comedic side of of the world, but Brian Cranston's co is comedic. Get out of here. <laughs> let's bring Brian Cranston back to uh, Malcolm in the Middle. That's that's. Let's not forget. Let us not forget. The Brian Cranston is a funny man and not just serious 
actor man. I, old Malcolm in the Middle clips crack me up. It's it's he's it's, great. It's pretty funny. It's, it's he's so, hilarious. It's, it, the transformation from like Malcolm in the Middle to where he is now is like that's a crazy path. Yeah, but then you watch interviews with him. Oh, Kevin Klein would be fun too. Can Kevin Klein play my dad in a movie? That's, <laughs> that's the funny cop movie. <laughs> it's a father and son crime crime solving buddy cop movie. I just saw that Kevin Klein has a movie coming out with Sigourney Weaver. And I was like, they're making a Dave sequel? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's a romantic comedy. Damn it. But Dave was like, cracked me up as a kid where he's like the president and stuff. But Kevin Klein, he's a, he's a very good actor. He's a funny guy. He is. So, Jamie, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Best of luck with your crowdfunder campaign that's running now through November 17th. That makes in, that that seems to track. Yeah, and it's all or it's an all or nothing campaign, so you need the support, you need people to back the book. You're going to get a lot of cool stuff. Uh the book is done. Lots of cool perks. Don't want to say rewards. Don't want to get you angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got like sketches in the book, uh, commissions. This is how I'm doing commission lists. It's how I've done commission lists for the last like two years is I run a Kickstarter and that's how you get on my commission list. Um, so yeah, if you want to commission, my prices are going up next year because Scotty Young bought an art piece from me. At Heroes Con. So but that I was, was like, a oh, sick that was a sick Popeye and olive oil piece. I mean, like that was and that was a painting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a lot of time and effort. And like, I mean, like it's it's really good. So go to your go to go to Jamie's Instagram, art of Jamie Jones, and you'll see the Popeye and olive oil. It's probably like I don't know, three or four scrolls down. I also am going to change the, now that we've talked about it, I'm going to make that the image for the, the fully painted cover, like quality thing. So, uh, yeah. So you can just go to the Kickstarter or crowdfunder. Gosh, that's going to, that's a hard thing to kick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, you got to get rid of the word kick all in your vocabulary. I know. All has to go. So, hi, right, Jamie. Uh, this has been awesome. I can't wait to have you back again. Take care. Enjoy your coffee. Enjoy Mega Man. Astro Boy, all that fun stuff. Take care. <laughs> all right. Bye.